We are continuing with Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, and I'm reading that passage. Thank you for joining us here on the Radio Bible Course. Verse 14 reads, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same nature, that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong bondage. Verses 14 and 15 are part of a section that deals with the relationship of believers to Jesus Christ. The author, quoting from passages in the Old Testament, refers to Jesus, and we find that in the end of verse 13, where he quotes, Here am I and the children God has given me. So this section is talking about Jesus Christ and those who belong to him. Now in verse 14, he talks about the incarnation. Since the children have flesh and blood, he himself also had to have the same kind of a nature. And he reasons this way, that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong bondage. But we can ask, why was the incarnation necessary? First of all, to destroy the power of the devil. Secondly, to deliver the believer from fear of death. Now, that is a real problem with many people. It was with me as a boy. I feared death. Not so much that I would die, but that I felt certain that I would have to face judgment, and to stand before a holy God terrified me. In verse 14, where he talks about the children sharing in flesh and blood, we have to be sure we understand who these children are. Verse 13 told us about the children which God has given to Christ. To be able to rescue them, it was necessary that Jesus Christ become like them. Christ, of course, was in the beginning with God as a spirit. God is spirit. But John 1.1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But Christ also needed to be something else. He needed to become a man, a genuine man, with flesh and blood, one who would take on the human nature of mankind and he was given the name of Jesus. Since he came to act on man's behalf, it was necessary to be just like the men that he came to save. So he took on a body, and thus could experience what men experience. The author is going to develop this idea of identity so he can show the reader that Jesus is qualified by virtues of his humanity to serve as the believer's priest, and to represent men to God. Now, the Greeks had this idea about their gods, that their gods cared nothing about human activity. Some of the Greek philosophers said that gods were not even aware that men existed on the earth. But the revelation of God, the Bible, tells us that God does care, and he sees us. He knows all about us, and he looks into our hearts and our minds. He understands us. We are made in his image, and so God has an interest 
in those he created, and therefore he sent his Son to rescue men from certain destruction. Now that gives the purpose of Christ's incarnation. It's death. A God who is spirit can't die for a man who is flesh and blood. He needed the same kind of a body to pay the required penalty according to the holy law of God. And that holy law of God said, The soul that sins must die. God is an eternal spirit, and God can't die. Man is sinful, and he's under condemnation of death, and he can't pay for anyone else's sin. He can't pay for his own, certainly. He must die for his sins. But God wants to save all of us. Since God can't die for sinners, because God is eternal and he's spirit, and since man is disqualified from rescuing himself or anyone else, he cannot be a remedy to the sin problem. Yes, man can die. He can die for his sins, but he'll lose his life in the process. For that reason, God created a sinless man. He caused a virgin to become pregnant, and that resulted in the birth, the birth of the Messiah which the angels announced. He was a sinless man in whom God could live, and a man who did everything according to God's will. And this man, he alone, would qualify to die for sinful men. The death of God's Son, it tells us, was to destroy him who has the power of death. Does he have such power? Yes, the devil does. He's the God of this world. We read that in Second Corinthians chapter 4. He, by deceiving man, trapped every man. All men must die. That's his power. His victory over mankind is the grave. Man, who is made to live forever, goes to a grave. That's Satan's power. Now here in verse 14, it says that through death he came to destroy him who has the power of death. The word destroyed does not mean annihilate, it means to render powerless in regard to the eternal life of the believer. Yes, we must die physically, but the Bible refers to the Christian's death as sleep because it's temporary. The Christian will rise, and he'll share in the promised resurrection. Satan has no power over the destiny of such people. He can deceive, he can tempt, he can pervert and discourage. But in regard to the promised life eternal, he has been rendered powerless. Now listen to Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 13, which addresses this very subject. And you, who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, having canceled the bond which stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in him. This tells us that he was victorious over satanic forces which caused men 
to be dead in their sins. Now there is no fear of death for those who believe. Listen to the Apostle Paul's expression of the victory which we have over death. 1 Corinthians 15 Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When the trumpet of God sounds and the voice of the archangel is heard, will Satan have power to prevent the dead from rising for that great meeting in the air? Impossible. He can't prevent a single saint from being united in the clouds with Christ. That's a promise. He couldn't stop Lazarus from coming out of the tomb after he had been dead four days. Jesus went to the tomb. The story is recorded in John chapter 11. And he told the people, take away the stone that blocked the entrance to the tomb. And then Jesus prayed to the Father for the benefit of those watching so they would believe that God had sent Jesus. Then in a loud voice he called out, Lazarus, come out. It's a good thing he said Lazarus, or the others buried there would have come out too. That's the power of the word of God. The devil cannot resist that word. Now the book of Hebrews in chapter 2 verse 15 tells us that Christ died, quote, to deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong bondage. We all have been in that slavery of fear of death. It haunted me, and perhaps it haunts you. If so, let me assure you that his power of death is broken, and the believer receives a legal release from eternal death because the debt was paid. God accepted that payment by our Savior. He let us know that he was satisfied with the sacrifice of his Son by raising him from the dead. His resurrection was also proof that the power of Satan in the matter of death was broken, for he could not prevent the resurrection of the Son of David, the Savior, who is the coming King. Are you still troubled by fear of death? Most of us don't fear death as much as we fear the suffering that leads to death. I heard one man say that while he didn't fear death, because he believed death ends everything, but he wished he could be certain that there was no life after death. If there is, he feared he would be in deep trouble. Now let me comfort you if you are depending upon Christ's death on the cross to save you from sin. That salvation is not temporary. It is based on a promise. God's promise, of course. Can you believe God for eternal life? Can you stop believing in yourself? God never promised probationary life. He promised eternal life. And that promise was made to sinners. God saves sinners who believes. He justifies the ungodly through faith and gives them the righteousness of Christ as a gift. He doesn't ask us to earn our righteousness. That's the meaning of grace. It's the gift of God, and it cannot be earned. I think one of the reasons why people have a fear of death is that they are uncertain about judgment. 
Let me assure you that Jesus promised whoever heard his word and believed the one who sent him has everlasting life and will not come into judgment. How can that be? For the scripture says, It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. The answer is that Jesus Christ took our judgment. He bore it. The judgment of God fell on him. Now it can't fall on us after it fell on him. That would either be double jeopardy, or it would mean that Christ accomplished nothing. The Bible teaches that he took my judgment. Since that's the case, I have no judgment to face for sin. God asked only one payment for sin, and Jesus Christ offered himself once for all time as one sacrifice for sin. Now listen again to verses 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same nature, that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong bondage. The Radio Bible Course is an independent Bible teaching ministry with headquarters in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It is a volunteer ministry of laymen who serve without pay. Until tomorrow, this is Nick Calavota reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.